welcome to Filmmaker's Cookbook, a podcast where we turn your favorite films into dishes, helping you expand your cinematic diets. As always, this show is hosted by myself, Michelangelo White, and my clinically insane friend. That's me, Charles Halbeck. On this week's episode, we are talking about the film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Little change never hurt, huh? Little variety. Come on, you're not going to say that now. You're not going to say that now. You're going to pull that henhouse shit now. When the book the chief just voted, it was 10 to 9. Now, I want that television set turned on right now. I don't think he's overly psychotic. No, I want something done. I think he's dangerous. <laughs> Jesus, I mean, you guys do nothing but complain about how you can't stand it in this place here, and then you haven't got the guts just to walk out. I mean, what do you think you are, for Christ's sake, crazy or something? Well, you're not. The 1975 American film directed by Milos Forman, which is based on the 1962 novel of the same name by Ken Kessie. The film stars Jack Nicholson and Randall Patrick McMurphy. It's about a criminal who feigns insanity to serve a shorter sentence in a mental institution where he clashes with the authoritarian nurse Nurse Ratched, played by Louise Fletcher. The film received a widespread critical acclaim and won five Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor for Nicholson. The film also features great cast of characters, including a young, and I feel like this is the most jarring thing for me. Uh, ooh, what's his name? Danny uh, DeVito. Danny there we DeVito. go. <laughs> yeah, I think everything I've watched of Danny DeVito before this film was like older Danny DeVito. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting to see. I think this was his first role in a film oh interesting if I remember correctly because he was a big um play actor right yeah i believe so he did theater for a while and then i think this this movie was what brought him into cinema and then like 10 years later he got really big from playing playing the the, the penguin the, the character oh in hercules he did that as well yeah <laughs> that was later but in the late 80s if I'm remembering correctly, when the Batman, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tim Burton's yeah. Batman came out. With also Jack Penguin. Nicholson. Yeah, that that was later, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're both in Batman. They also played Batman yeah, characters. Yeah, he played the Joker. Uh, and then probably everyone today knows him from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. True. And uh, where he is great. <laughs> never, never watched it, but I know he's in it, and I kind of want to watch it just because of that. Yes, yeah, so that's the introduction to this film. Uh, but I want to say, uh, first of all, welcome everyone into the year 2023. This is our first Filmmakers Cookbook episode of the year. We also did a prediction episode uh, that released two weeks ago. Go check it out. We talk about all the, the films we look forward to this year, and we do a little bingo chart, and you guys can follow along on Instagram to see if we all are fools and we made all the wrong choices. But regardless, that was that. This is our first episode, and I wanted to say a few things first before we jump into the episode about our plans for this year we started this podcast last year in 2022 and i think 2023 we have some pretty big plans before we we had filmmakers cookbook releasing once a month and we wanted to do more episodes uh and i think this year we're trying to do that so we're going to attempt to do two episodes a month starting this year filmmakers cookbook will be coming out every two weeks and we are going to be changing the date from once a month on monday to every other wednesday this 
podcast will be releasing. Hence, this is why this is releasing on a Wednesday. Also, something special we wanted to do in the year 2023 is we want to go back and look at AFI's top 20 films of all time. And we were kind of inspired a little bit from our Christmas series in doing like picking apart Christmas movies. And I think it'll be, we thought it'd be fun to pick apart what uh, the American Film Institute... Widely ha- regarded as the best film school in the world. They have a list of the top 100 films. And we're going to, this year, break down the top 20 films, discuss why they are considered and if they are rightly considered to be one of the top the top 20 films of all time and then also as always we are going to discuss what flavors that film has and then choose a dish that best represents that movie as what this is what the podcast that we do does <laughs> so just wanted to give that heads up before we jump into it but yeah so now you have like we have all this this our chef's table has been set all our ingredients have been cut we have all the things prepared to then jump into this film and discuss it. Are you ready, Chase? So ready. Perfecto mundo. All right. I guess you kind of already gave a summary of this film. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, the only thing that one of the summaries that I saw had from the IMDb page summary, actually. Did you realize he was a co- Korean War veteran? I didn't pick up that in watching so, the movie at all. I will say that there are some things that might be taken from the book. Because right. in the book, they specifically say and talk about how he was a Korean War veteran. So I think they probably just sort of like, oh, in the book he was, so in the movie he must be as well. Mm. Which, uh, an interesting little fun tidbit is that, you know that the writer of this book, again, Ken Kesey, actually hated the film and he really didn't like how the director changed a lot of the details from the book and kind of the overall theme, I guess, of the book a little bit. So he actually boycotted and never watched the film, even until his death. So within his entire life, he never watched the film, supposedly. Which I guess, I don't know how he knew the director went against everything in his book, if he didn't watch at least some of it. So maybe he never watched the film completely. I don't know how that story really necessarily makes sense, but that's the story. That he never watched the film. So there we go. Anyways, so that that must have been from the the book that they kind of just included into the, the description of the movie. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, just guessed, uh, guessing purely on the fact that it sounds like it was an anti-Korean War book. And the politics of this movie aren't necessarily 100% aligned. <laughs> I've never read the book, so I don't know. I'd have to go read the book. But this movie for sure is very libertarian <laughs> which is, as a political philosophy which is uh-huh. not necessarily my own personal political philosophy but i greatly appreciate the storytelling in this movie yeah but i could see if you were an author and you had your book done one way to say one thing and then if this director's co-opting it to say something else i could see how that would piss you off i i would completely yeah i understand i think also the director, the director Milos Forman, I believe, was a Eastern European citizen, and his family passed away or was rather murdered uh, during the Holocaust. So I think a part of the film took a different meaning to him, and he kind of more or less put in his own beliefs into the film, opposed to what the book was doing. But I think we're not trying to necessarily 
talk about what the difference is or maybe the meanings behind the book and the movie. Let's just uh, take the movie as alone as at face value and kind of only what they what they present. Sure. Um, so I think for the film itself, I think what a big part of it for me is, at least what I took away of it, is kind of this mental institution and how mental patients are treated during that time, I guess. I remember this was a big thing for that time when this movie was released and showing the mental institution and how how a lot of people who are normal or you know not actually sick or anything are you know just drugged and drugged and there's even that one character who was pretending not to take medication and he's acting normally and then he's caught and then he's forced to take medication so so i think there's like these you know it's really like this mind opening shocking realization of how the mental institution is in America. Like even the way they discussed the patients, they had a couple of those scenes where they would discuss particularly McMurphy's character. That's not how psychologists discuss things, as far as I am aware. Not in today's world at least. I don't know what they were doing back in the sixties. Hey, well, I mean that's the thing also is like, is this really how it was back then? I mean again, sorry, we're we're kinda younger, so we weren't around in the sixties and maybe it was like this. And then that's kind of crazy that mm. this was that would this would be how it was i hope that uh, things are different now and maybe it was like that but just to go off of it is that that's crazy that it was if that it could even possibly have been this Inhumane. crazy of a yeah but the thing is that i want to talk about i think is interesting about this film is more of not really the institute itself but i guess a big thing about this film is like the fight against authoritative society yeah yeah and then in like individualness and there's like this individual versus authority like a personal freedom battle going on throughout this film and i think that's kind of a, a huge theme of this film yeah certainly uh, i mean i might be l- like literalizing it a little too much or not literalizing overanalyzing it a little too much and placing it in this very political viewpoint that i i tend to see the world through through so like my read of it is that it's sort of an allegory for society and you have all these people who are choosing to be there uh, and to live in society in a civil society which requires some level of authoritarian control and there's no room for these people like McMurphy who don't conform to those societal norms. So if you think of the asylum as kind of a country in itself you have most of these inmates are choosing to be a part of it because they 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 want the stability that it brings them even if it doesn't bring them happiness or it doesn't bring them total fulfillment it brings them a slightly more stable life uh, than they would have otherwise you have nurse ratchet and the doctors who kind of represent a authoritarian government that both exploits these people and also torments them but also provides them structure and order and three meals a day and cigarettes and time to play and places to play and whatever else they need uh, and then you have the McMurphys who represent kind of pure, unadulterated freedom, having sex whenever they want, doing drugs whenever they want, alcohol, gambling, taking advantage of people below them socially, and, you know, sticking middle fingers to the nurse ratchets of the world. You know, they, the only way for them is either to escape or they become destroyed by the authoritarians. <laughs> At least that's what this movie is saying, which is uh, interesting. 
At least that's mm-hmm. how I took the movie. What did What did you think of it? Well, I think that the thing I thought was really interesting of this movie is that I watched this movie maybe the, for the not maybe for the first time because it definitely was the first time. For the first time, I watched it maybe ten months ago or so. Like I watched it last year, so it wasn't very. It was relatively new that I watched this film, and then again I, I watched it in getting ready for this episode. And I thought that the interesting thing I thought about was the first time I watched it. I really took away the like mental institute and the characters and less of the the other deeper themes of this film of like individual versus authority and like all these other kind of deeper other meanings of this film. And I thought the interesting thing I saw thought about this film was that upon multiple viewings of it, you can get to really see deeper flavors and deeper meanings each time you watch it. I'm sure that if I watched it again, I could even catch more. So I think that's a big part of maybe even also why this film is considered to be such a great film is that it has such interesting cinematography. This The shots are really done in a really interesting way. And just how upon viewing it, you can really take away different things and really kind of see different themes throughout the film upon different viewings. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a sign of a really great story is that you have these multiple layers from which you can examine it and which you can take away not necessarily totally different ideas but interconnected related ideas and then develop an even further understanding of a subject so like like i think there is a reading of this movie that it is just a discussion on mental illness and what is mental illness you know if not just being at odds with society and are we truly free if we have something that tells us there is a way to be that is at odds with society Mm -hmm. so right off the bat you have this discussion of freedom at an individual level like all of these people don't really fit in to mainstream society and we're taking their freedom away essentially (laughs) by putting them in here or in the case of the people who would rather stay there they are taking their own freedoms away to literally be subjected to things like electroshock therapy which is just torture like that is probably one of the most shocking aspects of the film for me was that one character um what was his name oh i can't remember what his name was uh but the the one character who starts to lose it when he can't get his cigarettes he was there voluntarily he wasn't being held there against his will in the case of mcmurphy's character who was a literal prisoner he was just a a patient by choice and they still after denying him one of his his own cigarettes they also decided it was the right thing to do to give him electroshock therapy to calm him down i mean i think just this this entire thing and just like keeping everyone drugged up and lobotomies and stuff like that just like crazy crazy stuff and i think again that's kind of maybe why i necessarily didn't not that I didn't like the film, but it's more of just like, I don't see myself re-watching this film over and over again, because it's just like, it's such a... It's not an enjoyable experience, necessarily. No, but it's it's kind of, it's like a film that's like, oh, you have to, you should watch it because it's such a deep, meaningful movie. And also, it's just a really well-crafted film. Mm-hmm. But on your earlier point about uh, this movie being kind of hard to watch, but also something worth studying... I, I think to add to that, there are there are movies that are kind of, you know, escapist. They're just fun movies. And then there are movies that are more like literature. And this movie is more like literature. It's not necessarily a movie that is overly fun, but it is really deep and insightful. 
and a really interesting watch that has a lot to say about craft as well as a lot to say about its themes and politically and socially and culturally and uh it's worth studying you know kind of like like if you think of something like tequila mockingbird to, not tequila mockingbird that's <laughs> to kill a mockingbird yeah, <laughs> exactly to kill a mockingbird uh versus like i don't know a pulpy crime novel they're both in, like one is enjoyable they're both books and one is like an enjoyable thing to read over winter break uh, and then the other is something you study in class you really think about it critically this is more on that end you think about this movie critically and it's enjoyable to kind of intellectualize it as opposed to like we just reviewed glass onion that's like more of a pulpy <laughs> crime mystery i think it definitely is a deeper movie to go into but I think it is an important one. So going into that then, do you want to jump into the flavors of this then? I have one other area to discuss. Okay. What Go did ahead. you think was the, the point of Chief? Oh, interesting. Because I think um, his character is, clearly there's a narrative going on that they want to say something, but it does kind of feel slightly outdated and, and a little racist perhaps to kind of, it, maybe this is how I was taking it, to me, it felt like they were making a commentary on, like, returning to the old ways and the old world. And, like, that's why he's, like, this Native American character. <laughs> it's just a little ridiculous. And that's why he gets to run away into the forest at the end. <laughs> hmm. It's just, it's, like, kind of racist. I, I, yes, I would, yes, I would agree with that. But I would say also that maybe it's kind of, like, more talking about the how like the system is oppressing the minority in terms of race and i think maybe he's like that character who is, represents that interesting but also some of the other characters the minority characters were all people who worked at the institute which is kind of an interesting possibly yeah. subtle commentary of some i kind. think they're also nurse ratchet being you know there's only three women in this whole movie and she is a primary antagonist, you know. She's the antagonist well, uh, and has so much power in that in an interesting, not typical female character way. For instance, from the 50s onward to like maybe the 80s, uh, even earlier before the 50s, but particularly in the 50s onto the 80s, there were literally like antipsychotic drugs and downers that made women like incredibly easy and docile for instance um, uh -huh. that were prescribed by male doctors to make their wives less um less chatty less needy less whatever <laughs> whatever the male uh partner had to complain about and so that's just a whole part of our history um but uh it's interesting that they didn't really talk about that and the only people that are really considered as victims in this movie are white men and then one native american man it's a very depressing movie it ends so sourly which perhaps definitely. perhaps I we mean, should I, move on i was to the hoping flavors. for yeah no i definitely oh i like that oh that shoot, transition. i ruined your transition i know <laughs> sorry <laughs> yes on that sour note let's <laughs> let's jump into the flavors of this and kind of discuss it and break down the film
this movie is sad, right? Without a doubt. I don't think it starts sad. I, I think one of the things I love most about this movie is you do have a really great flavor journey, uh, as opposed to maybe a more traditional movie would start on the sad and then get to the happy. This movie kind of starts in reverse, and it starts pretty happy and wild and chaotic and joyful and then ends in this really disgusting bitter sad place so uh, ooh, okay that kind of ruins my whole thing but... oh sorry <laughs> <laughs> no just kidding i i because i was gonna say this movie has is definitely deep and it has a deep flavor to it mm-hmm. and I, i'm thinking umami is a deep flavor and i think this movie definitely does have a aspect of like anger to it and because which is umami is in anger in our in our definition i would say that's so, probably the central flavor there's always a twinge of anger throughout the entire movie yes yeah, so i think it has like a deep umami anger flavor that's like this tragic strong over lingering taste throughout the film mm-hmm. and i think a part of it and I, I okay and i think this movie does have sure like a happy sweet notes at the beginning and it kind of gradually goes more sad and salty or disgusting which is sour would you say that and i think this interesting this maybe does have a little bit of everything i think the this flavor it has the least of is surprise which is spicy but i think it has a little bit of disgust sour fear which is bitter sad which is salty happy which is sweet and of course like i said it has like this deep flavor of anger which is umami yeah i think if it there is maybe a little surprise in there but it maybe is more of a like a seasoning as in like you know maybe it has like some bay leaf or some thyme or some kind of some herbaceousness in it but i think it's not like a strong kind of uh spice that's going to be in present in this dish yeah i agree so i agree with you completely there's there is pretty much some level of all of these flavors um dependent on the scene and the point in the story at which you're at what would be our base then so like our anger is our base umami flavor is our base what do you pitch for our base of our meal so now here's my thing is that this movie also goes against like social norm and the, not really necessarily the movie goes against social norms but it, it really talks about you know the going against the grain and there's a fight of this like authoritarian kind of system versus this group of people who have want to have this more individual this character who wants to have more of an individual thing right and there's like this clashing of ideas right Mm -hmm. so i think this dish also should have some kind of weird food that goes against social norms sure so here's my pitch for you mr charles yes which is which is a stew okay and the meat in the stew is going to be some kind of unorthodox meat which i would is gonna pitch some horse meat which is (laughs) not not normal in american you know it's kind of considered taboo in america to eat horse Mm -hmm. but i've actually eaten horse i I have not eaten horse but i have eaten other unusual meats so like in japan actually and like italy horse is you know normal not normal it's like more of a delicacy to eat there but it happens you know you can eat, you know what sashimi is, right? Yes. So it's just like pure cut of meat. You can eat sashimi horse actually in Japan. Again, it's not like a normal thing. It's very rare and it's a delicacy, but it's, it is a thing. But you know, I think this dish, you know, you, you can maybe have like a chuck cut of horse and 
<laughs> that's like your your meat right base in this in this uh thing but maybe you have in the stew because also the thing i like about stew is that it has a deep flavor that kind of develops over time and you know upon different viewings of this film that uh the meaning can deepen and and develop over time right mm-hmm. and again as when you cook to start the dish right maybe it has a more sweeter note because it doesn't it takes you know several hours to really get all the flavor out of this of a stew right so you know have some sweetness from maybe like some onion that's in this in the dish or some carrots or something that some veggies that kind of bring out some sweetness in this dish but then overall you have these deeper bitter sourness from maybe like a a red wine that's used in making the stew or you know of course the meat itself also has like a really strong probably like a like umami flavor right and then like there's some saltiness in there and again this the seasoning the spice maybe have some bay leaf or some other different seasonings that kind of add a little spice but very very slight but this is this main dish is like this big chuck roast of of horse that's in this that's cooked in this stew. Interesting. I really like the horse meat idea because okay. it's right in that perfect middle ground between horrifying and okay, I would try it. You know what I mean? And I feel like this movie is a little bit in that as well. This movie isn't like a body horror film like Saw, where it's just gross the whole time. And this movie isn't so prestige that it's like too perfect. There's like, it's in this perfect middle ground between a prestige film and a really kind of out there concept. (laughs) Uh, And so I think Horsemeat kind of fits that bill as well. Because nobody's like, like, it's not like eating dog, for instance, in America, at least, where that would really like, people would get upset about that. But I feel like people wouldn't naturally choose horse meat, but they would have reservations, but they would try it. Yeah. And they wouldn't feel bad about trying it yeah, unless yeah. they were That's like really I... close to their horse growing up or something. That's why I, I, I thought horse meat would, would um, meet this really Because well. I, I was also thinking like maybe insects, like maybe crickets or something like that. But then again, I thought like crickets necessarily wouldn't taste good. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, sure, they, they don't taste bad, but like, I, okay, so horse meat, I would say, does taste good. So, as someone who actually tried it, so I think like. According I, to Google, it's a cross between beef and venison. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting flavor, but I think it's just like, it's it's good. It's a good, good dish. So, I think like this movie is a great film it's kind of you know dark and and i you know deep and maybe kind of talk about these more taboo kind of things so i think it's horse meat can that's a good word yes right right it rides that line of taboo it's just going up to the line it's not crossing it it's just going up to the line of taboo so i but it sounds like so you agree with the horse part but so you're saying you don't agree with the stew part I think the thing with stew for me is that it's all, it's a little too mixed all together. Whereas this movie feels a little more refined than that. And like, there's such a directionality to the flavors in this movie. Like it's very clearly a purposeful spectrum going from this kind of happy place, this happy free place, and then slowly whittling away at that. And getting to this really fearful, disgusting, bitter place at the end. Mm -hmm. So I think I would want a a food dish to reflect that. And so I'm sort of wondering, going along your idea of like horse meat sashimi, maybe there's like five different cuts 
of the horse sashimi and they're each flavored slightly differently to correspond and you eat them in a particular order Hmm. how about it's like a tasting course of horse where maybe you start off with like a sashimi which is you know more of a refreshing kind of maybe sweet more sweeter taste Mm -hmm. but then you kind of go into like a a steak or and then you go into like a A ground beef like like you know ground horse what's what's the italian one they do tartare there we go tartare okay like like a steak tartare like a horse steak tartare or something like that Uh because i think that could be a different thing like you kind of get these different dishes of of horse meat maybe or maybe even maybe even steak tartare could be a just it could just be steak tartare because pretty much what it is it's it's also it's like raw ground meat that's like served with onions and capers and mushrooms and peppers and different things and then also the the meat is itself is just kind of ground meat that's packed up and usually served with egg you mix the egg with the the meat and you just eat it with these like kind of side dishes or bread or some of that so you could have like i've never had tartare is it sour and bitter uh not necessarily (laughs) Is it salty? Uh, but I mean, yes, it could be salty, and also like the the egg, and the, and that's the thing I'm saying is that like maybe it has those because of these other things that are with the tartare could add those flavors to it, right? Depending on what what you put with it, you know, if you put onions on the side or capers with it, right? You know, capers have a of a more mm, maybe not bitterish taste. Maybe it's served with you know often you have it served with bread. Maybe mm-hmm. you have like a bitter sauce on the side of it or some of that. Yeah, maybe the bread could be the sour component. You could have like a sourdough. Sourdough. There we go. And then I like that. Like a gravy, like a bitter gravy. Mm, I don't know about that one. I don't <laughs> I don't know either. Like I I guess I was thinking like um like an aju, but aju's not really bitter, is it? Not really, but we can we can make it bitter, or maybe it's maybe they're just drinking a maybe it's served with a cup of black coffee or something like that. Mm, maybe like a coffee aju. I think you could. Or what about like a balsamic vinegar kind of sauce on the side? That's kind of bitter. Oh, that's sweet, interesting. Bittersweet. That yeah, that's an interesting idea, and a little sour itself too. Mm-hmm. Like a like a balsamic vinaigrette. You mm-hmm. have like a like a little horse meat salad. <laughs> Mm, kind of. You know what's horrible? We could call it McMurphy's brains. <laughs> nice. You know. So. <laughs> oh God. Served with it, you often have like these capers and um, salt and egg and pepper and chives, possibly, and maybe you have like a balsamic balsamic vinegar on the side and. You know, I don't know if you ever tried like higher end balsamic vinegars. They can have some really interesting, funky flavors with it. So I think that could really lend into the like maybe a bitterness or more of a sourness or and maybe some you surprise know. there too. Like, do the do they come with like a spicy flavor? Well, again, like that pepper. Pepper is like a spice, sure, a spiciness sure, to sure. it, right? Yeah. So I think like pepper definitely, it's not like a super strong, you're not having like cayenne pepper, you're not having like these stronger flavors to it, but like a, a little pepper does add a little bit of spice to it, but then it, along the way it's, you know, it's not overbearingly, uh, mm-hmm. it's like a, a moderate amount just the right amount of of, uh, of spice to it. Is this really like a two course thing? Like the beginning third is this like kind of sweet, happy, surprisey thing, and then the second half is this dish we're describing right now, 
with this horse meat tartare with this sourdough bread and vinaigrette that encompasses all these very complex flavors that come about towards the the middle and second half of this film so maybe we need like a palate cleanser going into this like a sweet sorbet i'm trying to imagine what what the the dining experience for this because i feel like this movie has such a great transition of flavors but it really is that the beginning is this like happy place where McMurphy kind of arrives and thinks he's kind of tricked the system and he thinks he's going to get off scot-free in in 80 days or whatever and then the reality slowly starts to set in and then we get some of these like flavors of like oh this is really sad surrounded by these people who are really messed up oh it's really kind of a scary place where people could unleash inner rage at any moment and and you have no real power over your own body anymore and then there's this disgusting element of like literally everyone around you is is kind of disgusting uh, in their own ways and then you have this disgusting abuses that are happening at the hands of this crazy nurse ratchet who is takes a perverse inhumane kind of joy of in torturing these people and then there is all the way through this kind of anger. So I guess that would be missing in in the palate cleansers, that umami at the beginning. Because there is an so, anger at the beginning. I would say, how about... Because I think also tar- tartare is a it's also kind of like an appetizer as well. Mm. So I, I'm kind of now imagining this as like a... You're getting together with, you know, people and you're having like appetizers. And maybe it's like a an ensemble of appetizers. And the first you start off with like a glass of champagne and you have this like, mmm, I have this sweet bubbly drink in my mouth and then you're served some like cheeses or something and you're like okay and then you they bring in this horse tartare and you're like uh okay this is now changing and then you kind of have this like plate of uh appetizers that kind of slowly get into this main appetizer of this this horse meat tartare that has all these like deeper flavors that are, are kind of more slightly on the borderline of taboo I like it. I almost wonder, like, because then we're we're kind of switching up the anger. Then, do you feel like this movie has that, like, the umami flavor kind of switches at a certain point? I can, if you want to go a little bit more in the umami. I feel like there is an anger that underpins the whole movie, but I I see, I, I could see it being kind of a more a juvenile rage against the machine kind of thing at the beginning. Versus a a more true hearty like like the audience is now angry on behalf of these characters kind of anger at the end. Okay, 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 okay. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. So it is a appetizer platter that is served with bread, sourdough bread, some cheeses, some olives, some capers, and different things. And in the center, you have this big piece of uh, horse meat tartare. Like Murphy's brain. And your your Murphy's brain. And your everyone is first served with a, an aperol spritz, which Ooh. is a, a champagne, aperol, orangey kind of bitter, sweet, interesting flavored drink. Right? It's like a heavy kind of mm, not heavy, but it has like complex flavors. So complex flavors and you're served but it's you know you know it's a little sweet it's a little bit like fun enticing and then you jump into this plate of anger and umami and sweetness and sadness and fear and salty bitter all these different flavors just jumping in your face and of course the center of it all is this dense piece of horse meat tartare (laughs) i like Um, it i like it this is great and that's shaped like a brand that you pick out with 
all the little things. You pick the pieces of brain out, just like they picked McMurphy's brain out. Exactly. <laughs> it's really gross, but very funny to me. Well, I think it's great then. I think is that is that good? I think that you... that's great. Perfect. Cool. We just we got it. Oh my gosh. Well, what are we calling this dish? I, I, I you you said it already. Murphy's Mick brain. Murphy's brain. Okay. Mick Murphy's brain. A McMurphy appetizer. Picking, Get ready picking to... McMurphy's brain. It really is a finger food. <laughs> We had to really get to pick at his brain. Yeah. Oh, Lord. But also, it's great, right? Because that appetizer, I feel like usually when you order drinks and like an appetizer, like a cheese platter or some of that, you know, it's a movie that you can get around with people and kind of talk about this deeper meanings behind the film. And I think an, an appetizer like this, where we can share it with people, is definitely really fitting for this movie as well because it's something that you can really it's not really something that you just go home and you're like huh that's like i just want to watch this movie myself i think it really works well when you're in a setting where you can kind of discuss this film and it's really invokes that idea of you know talking and discussing these themes that are present in this film so i think that really goes fitting for like this film as well yeah i agree Cool. Great job. Wow, we did it. First we broke filmmaker's down the cookbook of the year, and we've already come up with one of the most fucked up dishes. <laughs> well, yep. Welcome to Filmmaker's Cookbook, where we make the most effed up dishes that are on the internet. Welcome to our show. Welcome. And um, yeah, that's kind of it. Bye, everyone. See you in the next episode. It was great watching, or great. I hope you enjoyed listening. See you all in the next one. Bye. Bye.